At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approached data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am so excited to share today's interview with you. Today I'm chatting with Helene Adidip, who is a BCBA and the founder and clinical director of the Reason for Hope Clinics in the Houston-based area. Helene is an expert in all things early intervention, and as I share in our chat in a few minutes... I, I'm not an expert in early intervention, so I was excited to really learn from her and for her to share her wealth of knowledge with you all. Um, in our conversation, we cover a lot of ground. So Helene and I talk about the change in the CDC milestones. So that change came last summer, and she talks about kind of what those big changes were and what implications those have for early intervention, qualifying for services, and programming for those services. There is a lot to cover here. We also talk a lot about those screening questions that you get from your pediatrician and really what parents can do when they notice that their child maybe is not meeting some of those milestones or they have any concerns. If you are a parent to a young child, I think this episode is a must listen. So let's go ahead and jump in and learn from Helene. Hi, Helene. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, how are you? 
I am good. I am so looking forward to this episode and to this topic. Helen is, Helene, excuse me, is an early intervention expert. And we were just chatting before we clicked record here that this is something we haven't talked a lot, a lot about about the podcast. So I am interested to learn more and share more from you. Awesome. Awesome. All right, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So the topic of the day is the CDC milestones. And I have, when you brought up this idea, it brought back the memory of, I don't exactly remember when they changed, but I remember all of the grumblings on social media and Mm -hmm. there being Mm -hmm. some news articles about it. And I remember kind of reading about it then, and then we haven't heard much since. So can you give us an overview of kind of when the CDC milestones changed and how they changed? So the CDC milestones changed, I believe it was over the summer. I don't remember the exact month, but I do know that it was this year, 2022. Um, And I think there are a couple areas that a lot of people were, myself included, (laughs) were kind of (laughs) up in arms about um, with the changes. So here's one of the things, I guess, before I go into what changed, let's talk a little bit about why. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, they, when they released the milestones, they said that they released it, honestly, because it hasn't been updated for almost two decades. So in over wow. 20 years, we were still following those old um, guidelines that they released then. So they felt like now was the time to update those, um, those milestones for um, providers, practitioners, parents, you know, caregivers which was fine, (laughs) but then controversy came when we saw the milestones. So one of the areas that they changed that I know a lot of us were very concerned about was in terms of a child's language development. So for Mm -hmm. example, the CDC milestone, they actually lowered the standard for um, children. So one of the things is the previous expectation was for a child to have a vocabulary of 50 words by the age of two or 24 mm-hmm. months. Well, mm-hmm. now they're requiring or expecting that children will have 50 words at the age of 30 months, mm-hmm. which, yeah. So, I mean, that's a six month difference. So yeah. for a lot of us that work in early intervention, especially speech and language pathologists, um, early intervention um, BCBAs, we were kind of like, whoa, that that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about why and the implications of those things in a little bit. But another area that they changed some of the milestones on were some of like the motor um, areas. So for example, crawling was actually like the actual skill set of crawling, like babies crawling was actually removed from the milestones, which was quite surprising, especially my, I know my occupational therapist that, you know, my office was like, what, why would they take that out? It's so I important. I did not know that. You, mm-hmm. yeah, you hear so many OTs talk about the importance of crawling. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So it just seems like the standards may not seems like they were, the standards mm-hmm. were lowered mm-hmm. and it's concerning to a lot of us because we know the implications and what can happen in terms of early intervention, or maybe perhaps the lack thereof. Um, So one of the things that we, as early intervention um, therapists, that we really focus on are developmental milestones. And Mm -hmm. we use that to help guide our practice, to help guide our interventions, to help guide our trainings of parents and caregivers. So when the standards are changed, 
and then lowered, it's concerning because it really changes how we intervene. And then it turns into that, well, do we follow the new milestones or do we go with our own milestones? You know, especially those of us who've been in this field quite some time, you know, we're so used to those previous milestones. And I mean, I know for myself, like we agree with those milestones, Yeah, you know? Um, so to have these newer milestones, it's kind of like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm like, I can't even imagine that like shift. Yeah. And practice and intake and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Now, does this have implication on kids that qualify for early intervention? Yes, exactly. And that's one of the things that's, I think for me, the most concerning because when children are like, let's say they go to their, um, PCP, their uh, primary care physician. Mm-hmm. when we complete the ages and stages questionnaire, and I, I can say we, cause I have an infant, I have a nine month old currently right now. And so I'm in the thick of milestones and, you know, um, development and things like that. Well, when we complete those checklists, it then goes to our PCP who then, you know, guides us through it. Like, is he meeting all his, you know, social emotional milestones, gross motor, um, cognitive, fine motor language, all of those things. Well, those are all based off of the CDC guidelines. And now they're the current CDC guidelines. So mm-hmm. you, you expect, or we hope that, you know, we're able to be able to intervene earlier, but parents need help in getting that intervention in terms of sometimes parents don't know what to expect, right? They, they, they don't know the milestone specifically, um, especially if they're not in the field, um, or related field. So they're getting that guidance from their physicians um, who then would then be able to refer them to people like myself, um, a behavior analyst or speech language pathologist or occupational therapist or physical therapist. But when those milestones are lowered, then that means that it's going to eventually take longer possibly for them to, for that child who may need services to get intervention because as opposed to a child needing to be able to say 50 words, by two, now it's two and a half. So if they're showing up at the doctor at two years old for their two-year-old checkup and they don't have 50 words, we're not worried yet versus a year ago, that would have been maybe a red flag. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah, right. That makes and, it, that makes me stressed out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know, the other thing is too, it's so difficult as it is for lots of families to get early intervention services because wait lists are so long, right? Mm -hmm. So now those wait lists are essentially probably going to be longer. But here's the other thing. I think this is the biggest concern of mine and a lot of other providers in our field. We know that the brain is the most plastic between ages zero and three. So we want to intervene between those ages. But now when we're pushing things back, I guess you could say, by six months, depending on the specific milestone, that means that some children, they're not even going to be flagged for it till about two and a half, three years old. And I'm not saying it's too late by any means, but I am saying that the research does demonstrate that if you intervene between zero and three, that's when you are able to see the most gains. So not being able to um, have children be able to be flagged to potentially start intervention early is concerning because then that means they would possibly start intervention much later than they would had those milestones not, you know, been lowered. 
Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about the, the, the weight lifts, I was thinking about that because I was like, well, now two and a half, you know, you often hear about weight lifts that are six months or longer. Well, now yeah. you're three and yeah, you, you can still get services, but you have missed out on early intervention services, yeah. which the beauty of that is that, you know, from my more limited experience with early intervention or even just from seeing family members of mine get early intervention is that it's in the home and there's a focus on the parents learning. And that's a little different right. than preschool. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And and you're right. It's oftentimes in the home or if it is, you know, at a clinic or center, it is geared towards those like early years where there's a lot of like parent involvement, you know, because most of the times um, children three and younger are typically with, you know, a parent or caregiver um, and caregiver meaning like, you know, at a daycare or home or, you know, with mom, nanny, grandma, you know, the, the village, yeah. wherever that village is for that child. And that is critical in terms of getting that person training early on. So that way you can intervene. But now if by the time that they are flagged for, you know, a potential delay, then perhaps they're going to be, you know, needing to be in preschool or things like that, which like you said, they're missing out on that early intervention um, early intervention period. And it's just, um, it's really quite concerning because we have so many kids right now, even with those old, that may still be following those old milestones that still have to wait years to get services. Um, so now it's just going to add more to it. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So question for you. Thinking about the timing of this all, because I know there was some discussion of this when this changed. And it's crazy that you said this summer, because I would have said two years ago, because time like means nothing to me right now. I was like, that was like years ago, right? But I mean, no. I, I have like no concept of time anymore. But um, when it came out, you know, there was discussion of like, did COVID play a role in this? And what do you think, like personally or professionally? Did, did COVID and like how changes in our kids being home more often, do you think that played a role in how this change was made and when? loaded question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that, okay, this is hard because I do have a lot of families that say, oh, well, I think that, you know, he's not talking because of COVID. He was, he wasn't around other kids or he wasn't around, um, you know, he wasn't in a preschool environment or he didn't go to daycare. He was at home. And where I think that COVID probably didn't help the situation, Think about the amount of kids who still thrived during that yeah. environment. You know, I mean, yeah. we were all in a pandemic and there are kids who they also were at home or didn't go to preschool or, you know, um, didn't get as much social interaction as they probably would have normally received, but they're still meet, they still met and are still meeting, you know, all of their developed milestones. So I don't think COVID helped, but I don't think COVID is the cause that I, that I find that a lot of um, parents and caregivers will 
you know, like to like, um, say or imply, you know, that yeah. that's the reason. Now, do I think that that's why the CDC released the new milestones? I honestly have no idea, but I think that that time during COVID allowed people to really like observe their children. You know what I mean? True. It allowed yeah. people to be home and to, you know, see things like, wait a minute. Okay. Is this typical? Is this, because we have to keep in mind that the milestones are a general guideline, right? So it's what, what is typical developing? It's not the end all be all in terms of every single child. It's, it's not that, but as a whole, these are things that children are able to engage in or do or start doing. So I think that while it might be easy to say that COVID, it's because of COVID, I I, I would disagree because there are so many kids who were in COVID who thrived, you know, yeah. who they did fine. I think that it did not help though. No, but I do think that some good came out of it in terms of it did force parents to kind of slow down and be with their kids. Oh yeah. You know? No, I, I had the same kind of reaction as you as like, well, you know, I, most one-year-olds though are home with their parents or caregivers right. or babysitter, you know, so their life, like, you know, my kids didn't go to daycare anymore, but besides that, their lives didn't really change too much, you know, exactly. like they were, they were playing in the park outside and they were, right. you know, at home with us. So as far as little kids, you know, I, I was, I felt bad for the junior high and high school kids that lost out on their sports and social lives and all that. But, right. you know, as right. far as the little ones, I was like, well, I don't know, like maybe it hasn't been so different and in some ways better you know? Right. 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 I totally agree with that. But it's easy to like, I mean, I, I blame COVID on everything anyway. So it's easy to like, yeah, let's just blame COVID. Right. So yeah, it's an easy, it's an easy throw out. Um, so as far as your practice now, now that the, or we're kind of a few months into this change, what implications have these new milestones had on, on your practice now? So one of the things is, you know, we as a team had to kind of decide like, okay, are we going with the old milestones? Or are we going to move towards the newer milestones? And I mean, right or wrong, I don't know, but we as a team decided that we were going to use the old milestones. My, <laughs> my speech language pathologist was felt very, my lead speech language pathologist felt very strongly that, you know, we would be doing a disservice to our children by lowering those standards. Um, yeah. And also I think it should be noted that not a single speech language pathologist was on the board of the AP really? no, mm -mm, wow. that were making these decisions, um, regarding the changes. Um, so that's wild. I know, I know you would think, <laughs> that, I mean, it's like, hello, yeah. <laughs> this is their area, you know? Yeah. Um, so we decided to stick with the old milestones just because the children that we serve are delayed, you know, mm -hmm. whether or not it's, you know, by, by their language or, you know, they, they have all encompassing delays. So we felt like if we continue to, or if we were to begin to use the new standards, they would just be that much more delayed. Um, yeah. so we recommend using the old ones for our, um, the old milestones for our clients. And even for my own baby, I use the old, um, standards. I just, I don't want to lower the bar for him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I want him to meet the milestones that were previously set. Um, now, you know, I did read, and I guess I could, should go back to about the CDC and um, the like COVID, if that's why, you know, they did say that 
they were accounting for the effects of COVID in terms of like lockdown, mask mandates, social distancing, and things like that. And it's resulted in an increase in speech delays. I don't know what studies they used or are citing because I feel like there's not enough time that has gone by to have like a longitudinal study or, you know, even like um, peer to peer reviewed studies. Um, I am very research based as well. So it's kind of like, well, <laughs> How do we know? Yeah. Even <laughs> behind the scenes on that. Yeah. Right, right. COVID's only been two years. So it's yeah. like, well, so if those kids were born, let's say you were taking a one year, I mean, they're now only three. So how what sample size? But anyways. Um, so with that being said, we decided to use the old milestones. I, like I mentioned, am using the old milestones for my son. I just don't see the harm in using the old milestones, you know. Mm-hmm. But I can see how the newer milestones would, um, the bar is set lower. And I just feel like for some children, that's going to do them a disservice. Um, whereas we can intervene early if if we were still going based upon the old milestones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what my sister is an, an SLP that works in early intervention. And the same thing. She was like, I'm not using those. I'm, I'm sticking with what I'm doing. I know it's working. So. Right. Um, right. So, th- but thinking about kind of, and let's go to like the parent side of this and like the pediatrician appointment, you're talking about those screeners and I have, I have some stories with that, but she, um, so when, you know, maybe a parent is at the pediatrician's office and they're going to fill out that screener that's based on those new milestones, is there now a scenario where a, even if a ch- parent is c- concerned about where their kids was at, are at, they wouldn't qualify for early intervention because of that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's part of like the, the huge uh, debate that, you know, everyone's kind of like, wait a minute, you know, because according to the milestones, you know, if you have a two-year-old that does not have 50 words, then you're fine, you know, but it's kind of like, well, but most two-year-olds do have those words, you know, Um, and now it's saying it's at 30 minutes. So it's, and it's, and it's not just language. I know I'm talking a lot about language because that's the, I mean, let's face it, everybody wants their kids to talk, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a big one. And then also if you don't have a child who is maybe nine months and not crawling, it's kind of like, Oh, you know, but we know that crawling affects so much later in a child's development that that's why it's important that children do crawl, you know? Um, so yes, it can definitely impact whether or not that child would be, um, would be properly screened in terms of being able to get services later. And then I also say in terms of, um, like, well, here in Texas, we call it PPCD, which is preparatory preschool for children with disabilities that starts. It's um, from zero. No, 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 no. It's from ages three to five. So Mm -hmm. the wait list for that, you know, there's, there's just wait list for these things. And it also is one of those things where the kids needs the services. He could start at three, but if he's not flagged till three, then that means possibly he won't be able to start till four. So you see, it's just like a kind of a domino effect in a negative way. And you're missing out on these pivotal years. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, so what should parents do, you know, kind of approaching this pediatrician appointment or, you know, any kind of checkup and they're kind of thinking like, you know, Hey, I feel like my kid isn't where, you know, my other kid was at at this age, Mm -hmm. you know, or my Mm -hmm. friend's kids. I know, you know, comparison isn't always the way to do it, but that's kind of in your head sometimes, you know, Oh, Mm -hmm. I see my friend's kids the same age and they're talking so much. Um, what advice do you have for parents on how to approach that with their pediatricians or other things they can do? So I think first and foremost, you have to trust your gut. Like I just believe that you know, God gave us all like this, like that motherly intuition, I guess you could say. Um, 
and it's there for a reason you have to trust it. And I know it's hard sometimes to think like, oh, am I just being, you know, anxious or am I just worrying for nothing? But if you really feel like, wait a minute, especially if you have other children, you know, wait, he, he's not doing what, you know, or he should be doing, or you need to speak with your pediatrician about it. And if you aren't able to make gains from your, or, you know, get a, get a response, you know, continue talking to your pediatrician or reach out for ECI services on your own, because it doesn't hurt for you to get your child a speech and language evaluation or OT evaluation or PT or whatever it is. And then they not need the therapy then to not do it and realize, wait a minute, they are delayed. They did need the therapy. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh my God. I want to like capture that quote. Yes. That's what I always think. Like, it's like, if they don't need it, it's okay. But right. if they do, you don't want to miss out on like because you don't want to take an hour and get the eval. Like, oh my gosh. Right. right, right. So I just believe, you know, you have to be your own child's advocate. Nobody's gonna do it for you, you know, and they certainly can't do it for themselves. So if you feel like something's off, then seek help. Seek seek professional help though. You know, not yeah. like only social media kind of help. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Experts, yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, I had, I had such an interesting experience as a parent and I think I still do when I get these screeners and questionnaires at every age and there are certain ones and that, you know, once you hit a certain age, then there's autism screeners that they're getting. Mm-hmm. And, and I, ha- I have three kids and I've had a weird amount of pediatricians for not our fault. Like we just, we've, we've had a bunch of different pediatricians as we've moved insurances and and things like that Mm -hmm. and moved in parts of the city. So we've had a lot of different experiences with different pediatricians Mm -hmm. and there has been too many that I'd prefer that just left a bad taste in my mouth with the whole, they don't know what I do. They don't know I'm a BCBA. They don't know I'm a former teacher. They hand me the, the, you know, the the questionnaire. I know they're busy. I I fill it out and it's it. There's no discussion. There's no like Yep. Are things good or whatever? And I'm like, yep. what What if there were things that I didn't answer correctly? Those, those questionnaires are worded a little bit weirdly too. They are. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times parents don't realize like you need to test some of those. Like don't yeah. just assume your kid can't do something. Like test yeah. it out. See if he yeah. or she can do that. And then also ask questions. Like ask your pediatrician. I know you feel like you only have 11 minutes. You know, that's like horrible <laughs> time. But ask questions while you're there, you know, make a list beforehand before you go. Cause sometimes, you know, you'll get there, you get flustered or your baby's or child is, you know, trying to touch everything or mess with stuff and you're flustered. So like make a list, put it in your phone, ask the questions that you want answers to. And then two, I guess I could say, don't be afraid to switch providers. You yes. know, it, you, you have the right to feel like you're, like you're able to ask questions and they're able to answer those questions might not be the answers that you want, you know, but you should feel like you are able to get some help from your providers and, and not just your PCPs, you know, even like your speech facts, behavior analysts, um, OTPT, whatever that service type is, you should be able to ask questions and get answers because you are trying to advocate for your child. And the only way you're going to be able to do so is by, getting your, your, your needs met, your questions answered. Yeah. And that goes back to what you said about like that gut feeling. If like something doesn't feel right about this doctor provider, like it's probably not. So just go, you know, find someone else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The screen. So the screeners, yeah, they've always kind of thrown me off on like how quick it is. And then Mm -hmm. I had this funny experience this when my daughter was a little bit older and as a doctor, we don't see anymore, but they were going through the questionnaire and obviously he had a few questions and it was one of the autism screeners that he had to ask her. And he goes, what do you drink from? And she was like, a juice box. And he was right. like, no, 
Yeah. And she was like, yeah, you just drink from a juice box. And he's like, what else do you drink from? And she's like, a water fountain. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no. And she's like, yeah, you drink from a water fountain. He wanted the answer cup. Yeah, but I was right. like, oh, come on. She's giving right. you, like, I get what you're doing here. Like, you're looking at function of an item. Like, come on. Like, she's answering it correctly. <laughs> like, right, she just right. kept asking her until she said cup. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, come yeah. on. Like, what are we doing here? But it, it just has, has surprised me from a parent perspective how quick things are. And I know, yeah, doctors are so busy, but also that they're, there isn't more like, I know they're observing while they're doing their checkup, but like, I'm like, don't you want to chat with them a minute and make sure they can really say some of these words? Don't you want to hear some of them? Not just trust me completely. <laughs> yeah. And another thing to you, that whole trust me completely is exactly right. I think too, and I was telling my sister, she's a pediatric nurse practitioner. And I was telling her as I was working on my son's um, nine month developmental screening, I said, it's important too, that parents are honest with themselves mm-hmm. as they're doing those screenings. Like, you're not helping your baby or your child by not one testing it or by not answering those questions. Honestly, like if you don't know something, put don't know, or if it's yeah. sometimes put sometimes or always, you know, whatever it may be. But I, I often um, in practice at my clinics, I find that, you know, we can give a parent a questionnaire and they score it one way. And then we, you know, when we observe the child, we're like, huh, you know, and so, and I know like, you know, denial and things like that can be very real, but in the long run, it's so much better if you just try hard to answer those questions as honestly as you can for your child. Because if you have any sort of like worries or, um, you know, questions about can he, can she do this, it's better to err on the side of like, let me test it or no, yeah. you, can't, like, you can't confidently say, yes, he can do that. Yes. He can say that. Yes. He has that skill. Then maybe it's something you need to test or maybe the answer is a no. So that way yeah. you can start to get some help and move towards that right, the correct direction. That's a really good point. And I think we don't like feel like we can do that on a question or say like, I don't right. know. I've never, I've never put beads on a string with my child and that's okay if you've never that's done okay. that. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know what too, also sometimes some family social economic statuses affect some of that, you know, like mm-hmm. we not have beads on a string, yeah. you know? And so in that case, how would they be able to test it? Yeah. So it's yeah. those kinds of things, you know, like I know one of the, one of the questions is, is he able to pick up, you know, Cheerios or, you know, things like that at a mm-hmm. nine um, developmental level, or is he able to, you know, um, point to something or, you know, things like that. It's like some of those skills you can test because you probably have something the size of a Cheerio or actual Cheerio, but sometimes it's like, well, I don't, I don't have those materials and perhaps Mm -hmm. someone is embarrassed and doesn't want to admit that they don't have it or they haven't been able to test it. So in that case, I would, you know, encourage that parent to say, I'm sorry, I could not test it. I don't have it, you know, and then they can get assistance and move forward from there. And it could be, you know, from a practitioner standpoint, like, oh, well, you've answered yes to these similar questions. We're not worried about that. You know what I mean? Right. But if we're seeing like a lot of no's in one area, that could be right. something that's helpful for, you know, a practitioner to see. Exactly. Exactly. I was thinking back when we were kind of talking about the end. Now I'm just thinking through all my kids' milestones that I've done. But that's like my experience as a parent that at my son's two-year-old one, which was this summer, one of the questions on there was, does he use two-word phrases? that are actually two words, not like, you know, gimme is like, you know, considered a one word because they use it as one word. And and I knew what that meant too, as 
from being in the field. But at right. that point, he wasn't using two word phrases. And I said that I go, oh, he can't do this. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's totally fine. I, I see him using words right now. He has 50 words or however many words they were supposed to have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that one I don't even think should be on there. And that made me feel better as a parent to be like, for her to be honest with me and being like, yeah, that, that's a, that's not a skill that I see a lot of two-year-olds don't have yet. And that's totally fine. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, good. You know? Exactly. Exactly. But I think you did right by saying, Hey, no, he's not, do-, you know, like, yeah. Having that conversation with her and, and knowing that it's okay. You know what I mean? Whether your child has a skill or not, it's okay. And it's okay to speak to your provider about it because yeah. again, that's the only way you'll be able to get some assistance if you need it. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so a lot of my audience is, are classroom teachers. So obviously we're past early intervention phase. Right. You know, I always think it's so important to be talking with parents about early intervention, even if they're five-year-olds past, because you never know what, you know, their siblings might need help with. Um, what right. advice do you have for teachers on maybe bringing this up to families too, just because I think a lot of families don't even know that early intervention exists? Oh man, absolutely. And that is very true. I, um, I've done consulting in uh, the school setting as well. And you'll be surprised how many, you know, especially like the elementary ages, children who their sibling are showing signs or similar signs to their, uh, sibling that's in school. And so I think that it's important that if a teacher has that ability, you know, to speak to a parent or caregiver and letting them know, Hey, if you already have concerns about, you know, whoever, engaging in some of these similar um, behaviors or doesn't have certain skills, look at, seek early intervention, you know, seek whatever um, public assistance that they may have or seek a private therapy or, you know, speak to your physician um, because that will greatly help that child, you know, Mm -hmm. and until they can get into a school setting or something of that nature. And then the beauty of early intervention is some children receive early intervention and then no longer need therapy services because yes. we're able to intervene early and, you know, um, they're able to meet those therapeutic goals and graduate from that therapy. So that's why it's important to get that early intervention, you know, so perhaps yeah. they won't need special ed services or things of that nature in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And teachers can be so powerful on kind of just sharing the word about, about yeah. this, even though maybe it's not going to affect their exact student, but could be affecting that family unit. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Oh my gosh, Helena, I could just like chat with you about this all day. I'm like, oh, what else about CDC? So, okay. Like, um, but thank you so much. This has been so informational and I feel like I learned a lot as like a parent and, and as a pr- practitioner. Can you share a little bit about your clinics and where people can go online to learn more from you? Sure. So I am the clinical director and founder of The Reason for Hope. We are a Houston-based pediatric therapy center. Um, we provide ABA therapy, speech and language therapy, and occupational therapy to children with autism spectrum disorders, speech and language disorders, as well as behavior disorders. Um, and naturally, <laughs> of course, we provide early intervention services. Our kids range between the ages of one and six years old. Um, you can visit us online at www.thereasonforhope.com. And I'm also the, um, um, sorry, I'm like totally going blank. No, that's fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll edit that out. Yeah. 
Um, I am also the director of AIM Higher. We are in Washington State, and we also provide services to children with autism spectrum disorders. And that website is www.aimhire.com. And you can come visit me online at on Instagram at Pink Scrubs in a Prayer. Um, I provide early intervention tips to uh, parents, providers, um, and it's just a fun way for me to share tips about therapy, the world of business, and um, as a Christian, I love sharing my faith as well. So come follow along, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. I will add all those links in our show notes and Instagram is where I found Helene. And I love that you wear pink scrubs, by the way. Um, So I love her Instagram. Definitely check her out. Lots of great tidbits. And I think great too for clinicians and teachers to share her account with parents too, because I think it'd be really helpful for parents. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Helene. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.